Welcome, church. It is week six of the coronavirus pandemic. And I hope you're doing well. And uh, I just want you to know this is going to be the last service that we do uh, through Face FaceTime exclusively, um, this Facebook service. Uh, next Sunday, we are going to go to the church uh, on China Lake, and we are going to do drive-in church. And we are going to be doing drive-in church exclusively until we can go back into the building. And when we go back to the, into the building, I'm not sure what that's going to look like yet, but it's going to be very different from what it was. And uh, you'll hear more about that later. But our drive-in service is going to be at 9.30, okay? We want to be at 9.30 because uh, the weather's getting warmer right now. And so we want to do that service earlier. And then uh, just one other announcement before we begin in Second Peter chapter 3 is uh, there's going to be a business meeting coming up. May 24. I don't have a slide for this, but uh, we are going to uh, be, it's going to be a budget proposal meeting, budget hearing, and uh, it's going to be an opportunity for you to ask questions. It will most likely be a Zoom meeting, but uh, who knows what things are going to look like at that point. But uh, we need to be uh, voting on a uh, our new fiscal year budget come June. So this is our uh, business meeting a budget hearing meeting on the 24th, and you'll be hearing more about that. But please keep that in prayer because that's going to be a a very important meeting for us as a church. All right, well, we're in 2 Peter chapter 3, and uh, we're looking uh, at the return of Christ uh, through this passage of Scripture uh, this morning. And uh, this is... This is a difficult message. And last week's message was a difficult message. But I think in particularly this, uh, this week is, is a challenge. Because I don't consider myself a fire and brimstone preacher, okay? But, uh, in this day and age, and with, uh, current circumstances, and this text, here I am this morning. And, uh, and so I'm praying that uh, God will be speaking to all of our hearts as uh, we look at this text this morning. But uh, again, last week, Peter sh- shared some harsh words about false teachers, false prophets. And he's basically telling us, church, that they are dangerous people and they are people to be avoided at all costs. Why? Because their message is leads to the broad way of destruction. Uh, they do not preach the whole counsel, the full counsel of God's word. They only preach parts of the word of God according to what's going to fit their agenda, what's going to grow their movement. And Peter tells us, Peter told us last week, that these people, these false teachers, are full of greed and sensuality and take advantage of weak, unstable hearts and minds. And Peter tells us what their end is in verse 17 of chapter 2. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. So here we come to chapter 3. 
And it's kind of like Peter takes a deep breath. And he says, Beloved. Which translates, Dear friends. Hear what I have to say. He's going to say, Beloved, five times in this chapter, in chapter 3. He says it in verse 1. Verse 8, verse 14, verse 15, and in verse 17, he says, Take care, beloved, that you are not carried away with error. So with that in mind, I want to read the first nine verses of chapter 3. Peter says, This is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved, In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by the way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone, that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So here we are in chapter 3. And Peter says, this is my second letter to you. This is my second writing. And he's saying, beloved, remember all that has been said. Remember what has been said by the holy prophets of the Old Testament. Remember what has been said through the apostles and Jesus' teaching. And remember Jesus' commands. What we have contained in the Word of God is not a devised myth. These words are God's plan. These words are God's revelation of His, of Himself. And God has told us that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the author of life. And all that I have said, All that I have planned out is going to come to fruition. These are not devised myths. These are God's inspired words. And going back to 2 Peter chapter 1, 
he talked about the, the writers in verse 20 when God used uh, man to record these words. These weren't man's own interpretations of what they thought God was going to do. No, these are God's very words. They were divinely inspired. They were God-breathed in verse 21 of chapter 1 and in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So when we read this book, this book... This book is a history book, but it's not like any other history book, okay? This book is completely accurate, but when we read it, it's more than a history book. It's, it's more, it's not a, it's not a natural book. It is a supernatural book. And in a, in an, in a time of uncertainty, there's one thing that you and I can count on. It is the God of this book. And whatever God says is going to happen, we can trust it. We can count on it, friend, beloved. So consider all that has already been said. Peter is like stirring um, up God's great promises to uh, the, chil- the, the followers of his in this first century. And all these great promises are to lead to hope and godliness. Look at verses 13 and 14 for a moment. We'll, and we'll get back here in a couple of weeks. But look what verse 13 says. Well, verse 12 says, Waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will, will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So he wants to stir up these promises. He doesn't want us, these promises, to just settle, but um, it's kind of like this glass of iced tea I have here, okay? You know whose glass of iced tea this would be? Arturo Ochoa's glass of iced tea. If you've never seen him drink iced tea, Arturo likes to put sugar in his tea. I'm not talking about a little bit of sugar. I'm talking about a lot of sugar. And he'll take that sugar, he'll pour in that tea, and then he'll begin to stir it up. And you need to watch him because this is cold iced tea that he's, he's drinking. And, uh, and so it takes a long time for this sugar to dissolve, to, to saturate this tea. But that's what Peter is doing with the promises of, of uh, his word. He, he wants our minds to be saturated with the truth. He doesn't want uh, these promises just to be at the bottom of our brainstem. He wants us to be saturated with the promises of God's word because that those promises lead to hope that's going to help us cope. In church, we need hope today. And God has given us the words uh, in his word. So God wants his word, and we looked at this a few weeks ago. He wants this word to be a shining lamp 
shining in our dark place. So may his words encourage us this morning as we go through this chapter. Now, three things that Peter's wanting to point out to us this morning. Number one, know this about the present. We need to be looking at our present circumstances and what we need to know about our present circumstances. Number two, remember some certain things about the past. And then number three, there's some things that we can count on for the future. Okay, so what do we know, need to know about our present right now? Verses 3 and 4, Peter says, Mockers are going to come, and they are going to ridicule those who have faith. Last week we looked at false teachers, false prophets that are inside the church. These mockers are come from the outside. Uh, they're not up on the inside. And what they're saying is, how in the world can you believe all this stuff? Jesus is coming back? Really? And look what it says in verse 4. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They don't believe Jesus is coming back. In fact, they don't even believe that Jesus rose from the dead. If anything, it was a spiritual resurrection and not a physical resurrection. And the Bible says in verse 5, verse A, 5A, for they deliberately overlook this fact that that Jesus is coming back. And then we're going to look at a couple other things that they're uh, overlooking as well, deliberately overlooking. Why? Why do they not believe that Jesus is going to return? Because church, they want zero accountability for their actions. If, if they can deny God, then they can live how they want to. It's their life. It's their money. It's their time. It's my life. And it is all about them. And if they acknowledge that Jesus is returning and that Jesus is going to judge then they know that they're going to be accountable for their sin. And so they're doing everything in their their own mind to, to deny that fact. And don't we feel the same way right now, being under house arrest? We can't go where we want to go. Um, in fact, I think this might be... A, I think last I think last night was Fishness Eve. I can't even go fishing right now. You know the Sierras are are closed down. But you know we have, if ever we have to go out of the house, we have to wear a mask, and and we're basically controlled by the government right now. And who likes that? You know we we like our freedom, but we've come to a place, haven't we, as believers in Christ? that we've been purchased. Our life is not our own. We've been blood-bought 
by the grace of God. And so as we live our lives today, we live our lives for him. Our lives belong to him. But there's mockers out there today who have convinced themselves that Jesus isn't real and Jesus isn't returning and who they are and what they all, what they have all belongs to them. It's all about them. And yet the Bible says, Peter says, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set things right. He's going to transform this world. There's going to be a judgment and there's going to be a restoration. And he's done it before and he's going to do it again. And he goes on in uh, chapter, chapter three and he talks about the flood story, talks about the fact that he created uh, the heavens and the earth all by his word. But then in Genesis chapter 19, or not, not Genesis chapter 11, he destroyed that world and started over again because of the rebellion of man. So rest assured, church, Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to do it over again. But this time it's not going to be a flood. It's going to be a fire. He's going to purify everything and then set up his kingdom. And we can take that to the bank. So know this about the present. There are scoffers who do not believe that Jesus is coming back. But then Peter says, remember this about the past. Verses 5 and 6, he says, they've deliberately overlooked these things that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Peter points out the, the creation story. He points out the flood story and that these things were a reality. Now, for the scoffers, they don't believe the flood story. They believe that everything has continued just as is from found, from uh, the, the foundation of the world. But the flood story, for the people who lived in this region of the world, the flood story was a big story. This isn't the only time that Peter writes to these people about the flood. He writes about the flood in chapter chapter one, and he referred to the flood story in ver- chapter uh, chapter two of Second Peter two, and then also in First Peter he referred to the flood story. <clears throat> even if you were an unbeliever, if you even if you did not believe the God of the Bible, whatever gods they worship, people had a flood story. They knew who Noah was. And yet these scoffers are thinking that that's just a big fairy tale. But we know, church, that from, that God has always been. And Peter tells us that God spoke creation 
into existence by his own word. We know that there is a creator, that there is an intelligent designer behind all that we see. You know, suppose I was walking along the beach and I came across a phone. And I thought to myself, how amazing nature is. How that it could just take all this randomness over billions of years and create this device that I can use to call people and look up information around the world. That's amazing. Would I ever come to that conclusion? That it was nature that produced this by accident? Nobody would believe that. We all know that there is an intelligent designer behind this device. And when we look at creation, we can't help but think that there is an intelligent designer beyond all that we experience and enjoy. But for the atheists, they think to themselves, well, I'm sorry, but that illustration doesn't hold water. You know what? I can just point to anything outside, um, you know, in, in nature and tell you that this was all created naturally. In church, we know that that's not true. That we, we worship the God of creation who spoke this into existence, existence through the power of his word. And yet for the skeptic, the false teacher, Peter says they deliberately overlook this fact. They have suppressed this truth. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Verses 18 through 25, Paul addresses this uh, suppression of truth. He says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They force it down. You know, it's kind of like a beach ball, a blown up beach ball. They, they try to push that under the water. It can only stay so long. It's truth. It's going to rise to, the, rise to the top. But they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For this invisible, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Everyone is without excuse. Everyone has the ability to know that there is intelligent design behind the creation. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Church, it is obvious 
And for these skeptics, these scoffers, they just want to deliberately bury it, but they can't bury it. God created it. God, through the flood, started over. And Peter says in verses 5 through 7 that God's going to do it again. We cannot escape the truth. Think of their arrogant, proud hearts, believing that, you know, this was all by accident. This all just evolved. They have deliberately forgotten. And do we see this today? You better believe we do. You know, I think of uh, Governor Cuomo's statement in New York City last week about the coronavirus. He said God had nothing to do with the, ta- the downturn of the coronavirus in his city. We did it. We made these rules. We made people stay home. God had nothing to do with it. Really? You know, a year ago, last January, I remember Governor Cuomo with Planned Parenthood and state legislators and whoever, him being with him and signing an abortion bill that permitted abortions to occur up through the ninth month and even at delivery. And everyone celebrated. In fact, they took the World Trade Center and the spire on the World Trade Center, they, they lit up in pink, and they celebrated the fact what they had accomplished, what they have permitted. And church, I just want to say, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, is I don't think it's a coincidence that New York City right now has far more deaths in regard to this coronavirus than any city around the world. Several times over. The Bible is clear. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that is what he will also reap. Jesus is coming back. And he, if he could destroy the world through a flood because of the wickedness of man, and if he could destroy a city because of the wickedness of, of, of man in Genesis chapter 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah. And when Peter says that he's going to come back in chapter 3, verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. If God's done it in the past, 
And Jesus says he's going to do it again. You better believe he's going to do it again. So this is what we need to know about the future church. Jesus is going to come back. He's returning and he's going to judge the ungodly and he is going to rescue the godly, his children. Verse 9 of chapter 2 of Second Peter 2. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from, from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Church, that's our God. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus. That false teachers want you to believe that he's not a, he's, he's not a, a, a God who's going to judge. He's only a God of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. He's both. And we are to worship him in all of his attributes. Know all the promises of God. Because in knowing all the promises of God, it leads to hope and it leads to godliness, Peter says. He's coming again. You know, the Bible says, you know, for every one verse of Jesus' first return, there are eight verses in the Bible of Jesus' second return. Twenty-one times Jesus says, I'm coming again. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So friend, beloved, believe what the Old Testament prophets have shared with us, what the apostles have shared with us through the words of Christ, and believe Jesus' commands himself. He knows your name. He knows where you live, where you live. And as messed up as this world is, we don't know what tomorrow holds. But we know who holds tomorrow. And Jesus has told us these things. And he is going to rescue the righteous. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to encourage you call on his name. Stop deliberately forgetting, suppressing what he's told you is true. Surrender. Say, Lord, I believe. I don't understand it all. But in this moment, I give you my life.
And Jesus will hear that prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, the timeliness of your word. And God, this is not an easy message to preach. But you say that you are going to come back and you are going to be the judge of both the living and the dead. And you are going to make all things right again. And creation, creation groans, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, creation groans for your return. That we can be delivered from this sinful world in which we live. Father, I pray that you would fill people with hope as we remember your great promises. And just as you've done things in the past, Lord, you are going to do things in the future. And we don't have to be afraid. For those who are, whose lives are in Christ, we do not have to be afraid. Because you've conquered it all, Lord Jesus. And for those who are afraid, are afraid who have been suppressing the truth, God, may today be the day of their salvation. May they cry out to you, God, I believe. Jesus, you promised to hear that prayer. And I pray that you would be made very real in their hearts and lives through faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen, church. And I hope that that word has encouraged you this morning and uh, I'm, I'm praying for you. Uh, hey, we passed out masks this uh, last week, Nathan and I. I think we did that on Wednesday. We gave out about 70 masks, but I think there's a lot more people out there who are listening to this message. And you still need a mask. So uh, look, uh, look, look at Facebook. We'll email you. We'll text you. But uh, we're going to be doing another mask giveaway this week, and we're going to open it up to the community. All right, and we've got a track to share with those uh, who aren't part of our church, but uh, come get a mask. We've got some people who've done a great job in creating these masks, and uh, you will be proud to wear them, okay, and they are free. That's our gift to you. But the Lord bless you. I miss you. And I look forward to next Sunday, drive-in church, 9.30 a.m. Have a good week. Great week. God bless.